11.3.3. Thank you so much. So we're looking at the Srimad Bhagavatam, starting with 11.3.3. And the first point for this morning is to realize our free will. That the material creation has a purpose. This is helpful because there's a way in which someone might come to the conclusion that there's no purpose to the world. If you read existential literature like Moby Dick, um, the purpose of the author is to express how the universe is a random set of circumstances that has no meaning ultimately. But that doesn't uh, sit well with us. If somebody passes away, we want to know why. If something happens to us, we'd like to know the reason. Why is that inclination within us to know why and to discern a purpose if there is no purpose? We just go along with purposelessness if we had no innate sense of purpose. So. This will be the first discussion. Welcome, Hare Krishna. And we'll talk, talk about it from a few different points of view. Okay. And first, we'll offer our obeisances to the previous acharyas. Oma jnana timirandasya jnananjana shalakaya chakshurundulatam dina tasmai shri gurave namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gauradhara Srivasari Gaura Bhaktivinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare This morning when I was reading I was just appreciating how much Srila Prabhupada gave us enough to discern the absolute truth in all of his uh, aspects and the various details, details of the philosophy of Krishna consciousness so that we could and can be firmly situated in the practice. Because there's a lot of distractions and the mind is accustomed to gravitate towards sense gratification, which is an endless pit of frustration. As Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, when one contemplates the objects of the senses, one becomes attached to them and then finds oneself dragged down into the lower qualities that seem to alienate us from others, become non-productive in our lives, and eventually forgetful of our ultimate purpose, which is a very depressing situation to be in. And so, Understanding from various points of view uh, the ultimate purpose of life is helpful. So when we have a sense of purpose and we're clearly in line with the goal, that is we're working towards a worthy goal. This is said in all kinds of circles. When we're working towards a worthy goal, we feel encouraged and happy. So we first have to know what that goal is. So in this verse, we hear 
Shri Antariksha Uvacha. Where is Shri Antariksha? Prabhu. Maybe in India. Maybe on the altar. Maybe at home watching. Maybe in the live studio audience. Okay. Sri Antariksha said, Abir Bhutani Bhutatma, Mahad Bhutair, Mahabuja. Sasar, I can't see that. I think I went down from 2030 instead of 2020. Sri Antariksha Uvacha, Abir Bhutani Bhutatma, Mahabhutair, Mahabuja. Sasar Jocha Vachchand. Adya Sva Matratma Prasidhaye. So the first word, Sri Antariksha Uvacha, is Sri Antariksha said. So this is one of the sages that we can trust because he's being put forward by Narada Muni himself. And Vasudev was Krishna's father. You can move down to the synonyms. When, when Vasudev, who is Krishna's father, after Krishna's disappearance, uh, approached Narada Muni, the sp spiritual master, and said, you know, I really prayed to have Krishna as my son, but I never th really th got into self-realization, <laughs> which is kind of interesting because the ultimate object of yoga is to realize Krishna, and he, he appeared as his son. In any case, out of humility, he said, uh, I, I missed that part. Could you instruct me? And Narada then recounted a story to, to um, Vasudev about the, some of the sons of Rishabhadeva. Rishabhadeva was an incarnation of Krishna who had a hundred sons. One of them we know very well. His name was Bharat, Bharat Maharaj. There's a story about him in the Bhagavatam in India now is named after him, Bharatavarsha. And uh, nine of his sons, out of the hundred, were the Navayugendras, Kavi Havi Antariksha Prabhuda Pipalaina Abhihotra, Chamasadrumala, and Karbhajana. How do you? That's like reading off the cooks. Um, <laughs> only I only got to nine. Um, the Navayugendras were like. Um, Many great sages, they had no entrepreneurial pursuits, had no uh, property tax, no insurance to pay. They had uh, nothing in the dry cleaner they had to pick up. They only had time on their hands and they used it to instruct others about the process of self-realization. They completely depended on Krishna and they just moved about the universe to uh, find situations where there were sincere people who wanted to know about the ultimate purpose of life. So once they were wandering and together, nine of them, and they found a king, Nimi, and he was performing a fire ceremony, sacrifice, and he was struck by the appearance of these nine sages. Everybody was because they were self-fulgent and he stood up. This is what one should do when an advanced person comes into one's midst. You should stand up. And then that's out of respect. 
So it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam that at that time, even the fire stood up. <laughs> you can imagine the fire is there as the recipient of all the oblations, and the fire stood up, everyone stood up to meet the Navyogendras. So Maharaj Nimi uh, put aside his sacrificial duties and he started asking questions to the sages. It's actually what one is supposed to do when an advanced Vaishnava comes. Uh, you can stop even deity worship. If you're worshiping the deity, you can stop worshiping the deity for the time being. Say, excuse me, sir, I have to greet one of your devotees. You should go there, greet the Vaishnava, take care of the Vaishnava, uh, make sure everything's fine, and then you can go back, do your duty. So in this case, Nimi put his duties aside and he greeted the Vaishnavas and asked them questions. And Sri Antariksha is talking about our, the soul's uh, involvement with material nature. And so he's speaking this verse in response to some of the questions that Nimi asked. Like, what's up with this whole situation here in the material world? It seems to get um, worse before it gets better. So this is uh, one of his uh, points. And AB, by these material elements. So specifically, he's talking about the difference between matter and spirit. And he's cataloging the material elements and talking about how they get activated and Bhutani, creatures. So there's the material elements, and then there's the souls, living entities within the material elements, Bhuta Atma, the soul of creation. So that's another. So we find in various places in the Puranas the cataloging of the different energies. For instance, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that there are earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego uh, as the separated material elements. And in the next breath, he says that besides these lower energies, there's a higher energy, which is the soul mixed into the material nature. And it's actually the aggressive position of the soul in the material nature to try to enjoy it or control it that's animating it. That's why if you look in New York City, there's a long spine of buildings that look like the back of Agasura, if you look at it from a distance. And those didn't happen by chance. That was an, an aggressive idea that let's build bigger and bigger buildings. Not that anything specifically important or especially important is going on inside those buildings, except for perhaps a few, because most of them are for selling clothing or food or uh, cutting nails, those three things specifically. So Krishna says that there are at least these two energies that are working are mixed together. And uh, he says later on in the 15th chapter of the Gita, that was from chapter 7, that the, the living force called the, the living entities mixed in with the material nature are struggling. 
So if you've ever felt a sense of struggle in your life, now you know why. Because that's what's happening. And he said, those uh, souls are parts of me. They're my fragmental parts. Just as much as the sun rays are parts of the sun. Same quality, and they're connected. But the, there's a part, and then there's the whole. And the whole is Krishna, and then the part is the living entities. So uh, Vishnu Purana also, Lord Chaitanya, when he was teaching Sanatana Goswami, said, Vishnu Shakti Paraprokta Shetra Gyakya Tatapara Avidya Karma Sangyangya Tritya Shakti Rishite that he named three energies, three categories of energy. Of course, elsewhere it's described how the Supreme has multifarious energies. They're unlimited. For, for the sake of um, understanding one's existential position, the Vishnu Purana gives this categorization of three energies. One is the spiritual energy. The other is the material energy. And the third is called the Tatasta Shakti, or the living entity who can go between material or spiritual. And it's it, uh, the position of the living entity as being compatible with the spiritual nature is emphasized in uh, various places because uh, we're not especially, uh, we're not at all compatible with the material nature. It, it eludes us. And also, ultimately, it's not enjoyable because it's so gross compared to us. We try to squeeze out as much as we can, but it always leaves us feeling uh, disappointed. That's why Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Yehi sam sparsha dukha evate buddha. An intelligent person understands that his or her interaction with material nature for the sake of controlling it or enjoying it ends up in misery. So that's helpful to know that, that what we're dealing with the different energies. Uh, so then he says, uh, Bhuta Atma, there's a soul of all creation. That means, uh, a soul means a conscious being who's intelligent and who's the source of the whole creation, and also who's overseeing it. And then uh, Mahabhutai, by the elements of the Mahatattva. So there's, there are energies we see all around us right now, varieties of material energy, but they all come from one single source. And in the beginning, the material nature, which is eternal, although it's fluctuating constantly, starts as an amorphous mass. It is non-designated, but it's one substance. If you take milk, those of you who take ahimsa milk, you know that if you then coagulate it or put in a culture like yogurt culture in milk, it turns into another substance. It's one thing, but it turns into another thing. And from yogurt, what can you do? Can you get ghee from yogurt? Yes. So anything else you can get out of milk? Huh? Paneer, butter. 
by natural processes, it, it, it will transform from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. So the material nature starts as one substance, uh, pradhan, and there's a little culture added, which comes from the glance of the soul of the universe, which adds in the elements of time and karma. And then it begins to, co to take shapes. It's one thing, but just like milk turns into various other elements and transforms, it takes um, myriad shapes and uh, becomes varied. And the, the varieties come in three major categories of sattva, rajas, and tamas, or goodness, passion, and ignorance. And the combinations and permutations of those three uh, create uh, millions and millions of different varieties that we see before us. And incidentally, when the need for the material world or the, the interval uh, during which it's manifest is finished, then all of those varieties then uh, enter the, 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 through the non-conglomerating process. There's like if you reverse engineer the, the world, it goes outwardly into di different manifestations. Those same manifestations fold back within themselves and then come back into one substance. That's the material energy. And so if I could go back to the word for word, please. Thanks. Then uh, Mahabuja, he's uh, telling the king, he calls him Mahabuja. Oh, mighty arm king. So if, if you want to tell any of your friends, if you're talking to them, say, oh, mighty armed. Uh, Sasarja, he created. Ucha avachani, both high and low. Adya, the original person. Swa, of his own parts and parcels. Matra, the sense gratification. Atma, of the self-realization and the self-realization, prasidhaye, for facilitating. So there's two reasons for the, the, the world to exist. And this is the main point, and I'm gonna read the purport now. According, okay, the translation is, Sri Antariksha said, O mighty armed king, by activating the material elements, the primeval soul of all creation has sent forth all living beings in higher and lower species, so that these conditioned souls can cultivate either sense gratification or ultimate liberation. Either means being the one or the other of two. Being the one or the other of two. That's what the word either means. So there's two possible purposes one can hold within one's consciousness in relationship to the world. One of them is for ultimate liberation, and the other is for sense gratification. Two. How many are there? Two. Two, two parts. Okay, here's the purport. According to Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, the illusory energy, Maya, is explained in this verse through a description of her potencies, namely the mode of material nature, the, namely the modes of material nature, 
In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna has described maya as gunamayi, consisting of the material modes of nature. The material modes of nature are alluded to in this verse by the word ucha vachani, high and low species of life. Various species of life become manifest as do varieties of beauty, ugliness, strength, weakness, and other characteristics within a particular species according to the proportionate development of the modes of nature. As confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 13.22, karnam gunasangosya sarasad yoni janmasu. This is due to the living being's association with material nature in good and evil species. Similarly, we find this statement, urdvam kachanti sattvasta madye tishtanti rajasta dukanyagunavritista adoga chanti tamasa. Those situated in the mode of goodness gradually go upward to the higher planets. Those in the mode of passion live on the earthly planets. And those in the mode of ignorance go down to the hellish worlds. The three general divisions of material life are called Deva, Tiryak, and Nara, that is, demigods, subhuman creatures, and human beings. In the various species of life, there are various facilities for material sense gratification. Different species are distinguished by differently formed senses, such as the genitals, nostrils, tongue, ears, and eyes. Pigeons, for example, are given the facility for almost unlimited sex. Bears have an ample opportunity for sleeping. Tigers and lions exhibit the propensities for fighting and meat-eating. Horses are distinguished by their legs for swift running. Vultures and eagles have keen eyesight, and so on. The human being is distinguished by his large brain, which is meant for understanding God. The, f- the phrase swa, matra, swa matratma prasidhaye is very significant in this verse. The word swa indicates possession. All living beings belong to the Supreme Lord. Therefore, according to this verse, they have two options. How many? Two options, matra prasidhaye and atma prasidhaye. So matra, you might remember from the verse in the Bhagavad Gita, matra sparsha stukonteya shitoshna sukadukada, matra. And then there's atma, matra and atma. Atma prasidhaye means for self-realization, and matra means to try to get comfy here in the material world, try to get cozy. Matra refers to the material senses, and prasidhaye refers to effective accomplishment. Therefore, matra prasidhaye means efficiently engaging in sense gratification. On the other hand, atma prasidhaye refers to Krishna consciousness. There are two categories of atma, the jivatma, or the ordinary living entity who is dependent in the paramatma, the supreme living entity who is independent. Some living entities desire to understand both categories of atma, and in this verse, the word atma prasidhaye indicates that the material world is created to give those living entities the opportunity to achieve such an understanding and thus return to the kingdom of God, where life is eternal and full of bliss and knowledge. Srila Sridhar Swami confirms this by quoting a verse from the Veda Stuti of the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Bhūdhendriya mana prānam jananam asrijat prabhu matrartam cha bhavartam cha atmane kalpanaya cha. The Lord created the intelligence, senses, mind, and vital air of the living beings for sense gratification, for performing sacrifices to attain higher births, and ultimately for offering sacrifices to the Supreme Soul. According to Srila Jiva Goswami, the actual purpose of the Lord's creation is only one, to facilitate advancement of devotional service to the Lord himself. Although it is stated that the Lord facilitates sense gratification, it should be understood that the Supreme Personality of God does not ultimately condone the foolishness of the conditioned souls. The Lord facilitates sense gratification, matra prasidhaye, so that the living entities will gradually understand the futility of trying to enjoy without him. Every living entity is part and parcel of Krishna. In the Vedic literature, the Lord gives a regulative program so that the living beings can gradually exhaust their tendencies to be foolish and learn the value of surrender unto him. The Lord is undoubtedly the reservoir of all beauty, bliss, and satisfaction, and it is the duty of every living entity to engage in the service of the Lord. Although there are apparently two purposes for creation, it should be understood that ultimately the purpose is one. The arrangement for sense gratification is ultimately meant to bring the living entities to the single purpose of going back home, back to Godhead. So, um, there we have before us the purpose of the creation. It's ultimately one. It's uh, the other idea that I can exploit the material nature is one that one takes at one's own risk. Although Krishna is kindly uh, providing that facility so that one can express one's free will. And no one can blame him later by saying, you didn't give me a real chance. Uh, one other piece of evidence for this concept is in 1087.2, as you well know. That's the prayers of personified Vedas. Prayers by the, of the personified Vedas. And in this verse, and I won't read the whole purport because it's extensive. I just want to enter this into evidence. Shukadeva Goswami said, the Supreme Lord manifested the material intelligence, senses, mind, and vital air of the living entities so that they could indulge their desires for sense gratification, take repeated births to engage in fruitive activities, become elevated in future lives, and ultimately attain liberation. So that's 1087.2. I'll read it one more time from the board. It says, the Supreme Lord manifested the material, intelligence, senses, mind, and vital air of the living entities so that they could indulge their senses for sense gratification, take repeated births to engage in fruitive activities, become elevated in future lives, and ultimately attain liberation. So these two ideas are now on the floor. And... Um, just f from these sections of the Bhagavatam, and also you'll find in the Bhagavad Gita that a Krishna's name is Prabhu, actually, because he's the master. And the living entity is called Jana. 
or the one who's dependent on Prabhu. So this the Shastra says, Nitya Nityanam Chaitanas Chaitananam Eko Bahunam Yo Vidhati Kaman makes this point that there are two kinds of living entities, one that's dependent and one that's fully independent, that's the controller. So we're the dependent, in case you hadn't noticed, and then there's a Krishna who's fully independent, who's providing everything, fulfilling the desire of every living entity since the time immemorial. From the Shishapanishad, you take a mic, you can quote the verse. In case you don't know which one it is, it's your favorite verse. Correct. So, in this verse, the, the um, Prajapati is saying that the, the Supreme Personality God is fully independent, he's completely beyond the material nature, his body is transcendental, and he's fulfilling, has been fulfilling, the desires of every living entity since the time immemorial. So he's the one who's fulfilling all desires. So, uh, the Lord creates the cosmos entirely for the living entity's sake. Compassion is his sole motive. So compassion on either side. One is, you may say, well, why does he create the whole material creation? And uh, it's a source for our entanglement. And ultimately, it causes a little consternation, the material nature, right? Well, one person thinks so. But I can't tell because you all have masks on, so it's hard to tell. But in any case, the material nature is endlessly troubling to, for living entities. So why? It's out of compassion. He's offering options to the living entity. Thank you. He's offering options to the living entity out of compassion, and he also has full facility built into this material world to fulfill the desire of the living entity if that soul wants self-realization. So the whole theme is compassion. For uh, he has no other motive except for that, out of kindness to the living entities. We're fully dependent on the Lord for success in all our endeavors. How can the one who is arranging these facilities be impersonal? So this is a point that comes up also in this chapter, uh, Prayers Personified Vedas. If we observe that there's dual purposes and there's full facility being provided, then we can also understand that it's, it's, the absolute truth is of personal nature. That means intelligence. Intelligence means a person, motive. And therefore, he's, um, and, and he's exhibiting his compassion. So, um, a couple more points. That the Lord facilitates sense gratification, matra prasidhai, so that the living entities will gradually understand the futility of trying to enjoy without him. So that's the only reason that there's an entangling situation 
It's the way it is, because we're incompatible with matter. We enter at our own risk. It's not his idea, but it's because of my um, material intention to try to, to lord it over matter. So finally, uh, one cannot attain happiness by force, no matter how strenuously or for how long one tries. You can't get happiness by force. Can't bust your way in. Okay, so now, uh, I just wanted to set that up because it's really important to know that the, the, there's a purpose behind creation. And even when it looks like a dire situation, there's a, there's a lesson within that. That's why Brahma, in his prayers to Krishna, says that a, a self-realized person or one who is fit for liberation is one who takes the lesson behind the material nature, including even the dire situations, and sees that as opportunity for purification, coming from the compassion of the Lord. So then uh, the conclusion that Sri Antariksha makes in, in the section of the 11th canto is that because uh, the material nature is ultimately meant to herd us towards the desire towards self-realization, Tasmad gurum prapadita jignasu shreya utamam shadde parichanishnatam brahman yupashramashrayam. He said you should find out from a stalwart person who's already above the modes of nature, who's fully studied the matter, of how you can get out of it too. Therefore, tasmad means therefore, therefore you should approach a guru and find out about how to, how to free yourself from the material nature. Don't. Um, Leave it to chance, it won't happen. You have to follow the directions. Okay, so um, I have, uh, I'm going on a different direction in just a minute. I'll make the case succinctly, but before I do, I'll take just a few, like three, three or four reflections, because I, I still have points to make and I have to make, uh, so I don't want to go too, too far afield. Please go ahead. Um, <clears throat> um, in the third canto, uh, in the third canto, um, Kardamuni also says, this is 321.20, like, uh, the points you were mentioning, it says, My dear Lord, although it is not your desire, you manifest this creation of gross and subtle elements just for our sensual satisfaction. Let your causeless mercy be upon us, for you have appeared before us in your eternal form, adorned with a splendid wreath of Tulsi leaves. That's important. You can enter that into the record. This is also stated here. That uh, although it is not your desire, you manifest this creation of gross and subtle elements just for our sensual satisfaction. Let your causeless mercy be upon us, for you have appeared before us in your eternal form, adorned with a splendid wreath of Tulsi flowers. Okay, yes. Manoj, one of uh, one of uh, your previous lecture about how to how to be a happy human being, you're mentioning the Bhagavad Gita verse, um, uh, the fifth chapter verse, where it says like the formula for being happiness is prak sarira vimokshanat kama krodod bhavam vegam sa yukta sa sukhi nara. Sorry, let me start from the beginning. Saknoti hava yasodhum prak sarira vimokshanat kama krodod bhavam vegam yas yas. 
So the the formula for happiness is uh, like to tolerate the urge of the senses, and where Lord Krishna says like the second and like very definitively that how to be happy human being. Yes, uh, this is uh, the adv- this is an example of the kind of advice Krishna gives those who who have uh, gone towards atma prasiddhaye. That means they decided that I don't think it works to try to enjoy the material nature or try to control it, therefore I'll try for self-realization. So in the verse, Shaknoti Haivaya Shodhum Praksharira Vimokshanat, he says, if you can develop the Shakti or spiritual strength before, Praksharira means before you give up your body and you're able to overcome the powerful forces of the senses like anger and lust, then even in this life you become Suhinara, happy human. Okay, we'll take two more. Anything you think will contribute to the conversation we've had so far? Commentary, realizations, questions to expand the topic? Sukeshri, and then Kautik for the close. I was just thinking that when we you were discussing about uh, fulfilling all desires, um, is that true for all because several devotees pray for maybe a particular thing like you know somebody who's really sick we pray for them or you know something has to happen but um, it doesn't happen all the time that the desires are getting fulfilled so as far as uh, you know what Prabhu? as far as you know i mean as As far as we know anyway yes it's according to to you you have to deserve then desire and also we may not you know krishna may fulfill our desire in a different way than or than than we know what's actually happening you have to give a little time also yeah you know, i was just having a conversation with someone who recently had um, death and uh, so the person was saying that krishna is just um, you know, he just does whatever he wants. Uh, he doesn't do what um, we all prayed for. So I didn't know what to tell at that point of time that Krishna is actually fulfilling your desire, but um, maybe we, we are for, ignorant of it. For devotees, uh, ultimately, he understands their desire for self-realization. If the devotee asks for things that are not helpful, just like a good parent. If a child asks for things that are Harmful. Can I drink bleach? No. Can I touch the fan? Prabhupada gave this example. One of his sons wanted to touch the fan. And Prabhupada kept saying, no, 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 no. And then one of his friends, this is back in his householder days, obviously, uh, said, well, let him touch it. Just turn it way down. So then they turned it down. And then the kid went up and touched it and wished was uh, surprised by the force of the fan, even though it didn't hurt him, but he jumped back and he didn't want to do it again. So uh, Krishna gives opportunity for those who are interested in Atma Prasiddhaya, actually for everybody to experience, but some are doggedly attached to the idea that I'm going to control the material world. For the devotees, he gives a token to remind them that, hey, get out of here. You know, remember, you're on your way out. Don't stop. Keep going. That type of thing. Thank you. Sure. Okay, uh, last one from Kautik. 
Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, please accept my Guru Vishnu's obeisances. Thank you so much for the nice topic that you chose today. I, I have a question. Uh, I have this question many times. Um, when Krishna, we say that Krishna is compassionate. He is giving us all the different variety, eight million four hundred thousand different apartments or lives to try, and finally come to the conclusion that Krishna is the supreme personality of God. Let me go back home. So, so why is the, why are these species, this material world, not endless? I I mean I why is it not unlimited like spiritual world? If Krishna is wants to give us an opportunity to try, why do we have to go through the cycle of birth and death? You could make it endless, because like there's lemon, and there's lime. Then you could say lemon lime, but that's not enough. When I was a kid, there was strawberry, chocolate, vanilla. And I remember when Baskin Robbins came out. How many flavors is it? Thirty-one. See, Nirkula knows these things. Thirty-one. <laughs> thirty-one flavors. We were like thirty-one flavors. Let's keep going back and try them all. But after we get through thirty-one, that's not enough. So then you have to combine them. Why don't you combine key lime pie with? I'm sorry if I'm making anybody hungry. With uh, peanut butter, you know, and then throw in some butterscotch. So in that way, combinations and permutations can go on and on. But the, in, in logic, you know, you can say, uh, why isn't a square a circle? That, that's an absurd question. It doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. And so similarly, why is the material world not the spiritual world? Because it isn't. We are, there are categories of energy. There's a reasonableness to the, to the uh, categories. Uh, there's spiritual entities that go with the spiritual world, and there's a, uh, a purpose for the material world, which is to exhaust the, or at least give a full opportunity for living entities to try and enjoy here. But it's a futile idea. But why isn't this, why isn't this, uh, the material world the spiritual world? Because it's not. Thank you. <laughs> Om Tat Sat. So, um, okay. So now I just want to uh, point out the next very important aspect that uh, Krishna brings up in various places, which is that... Uh, just as a summary, just for conception's sake, that the, the soul is not comp compostable. I have a book, and it's called Compost Everything. And uh, the author argues that anything could be composted. I mean, theoretically, actually. Of course, you wouldn't want to throw an aluminum can in there. It would take longer than your life to actually go back into the earth. Um, so, however, almost everything else organic is compostable. And he argues that it, you know, it's just how long you want to wait. Even a piece of a, a, a log you could throw in, wood. If you go to the forest, which we did recently, you look around and you see if a tree, huge tree, lies there long enough, it just deteriorates and goes back into the earth. So you can compost anything. There's only one thing you can't compost. It's the soul. Because as Krishna mentions in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, it's not compostable. You can't cut it. You can't dry it. You can't wither it with the wind. If you put it in water, it doesn't get wet. 
is impervious to the material nature. In fact, he mentions in the th uh, 13th chapter, it never mixes, kind of like oil and water. They don't mix together. And air, although it may go into mud, it doesn't actually mix with the mud. It just is a, um, they're two substances side by side. So the soul is not compostable. And it's uh, not subject to the changes of material nature. So this is one of the first and, and uh, <clears throat> much needed points for souls in this world about what death is. So we're in this existential situation where we're not compostable, but everything around us is, and it is getting constantly composted. And so Krishna talks about this in the Gita when he says, Dehi no sminyata dehi komaran yovaranjara tata dehantara praptyadhiras tatara numuyati. That uh, we're changing, or, or the, the compostable world is changing around us. It's, it's always, uh, can somebody look up the word compost? Get a clear idea of what it means to compost something. Uh, everything's being composted except for us. We're non-compostable, if that's a word. And so he says, you can observe how the, the, the body we've been given, the present body we have, it's going through these constant changes. But we don't change. What is it? Um, compost is a noun. It's from the late 14th, 14th century. It comes from compote, which is a mixture of stewed fruits, a preserve. A mixture of what? Stewed fruits. Stewed fruits. Compote. Compote. We want compost. I mean, I don't mind having compote because I like it. But um, compost? Um, oh, yeah. And then it was saying it's come from old French compost, which is a mixture of leaves, manure, etc. for fertilizing land. Okay. Is it spelled the same way? Um, it's spelled it's compote and compost. Compote? Compo compost is a different word, right? Yeah. Okay, lucky thing. Um, and then it's also from 13th century condiment, which is from vulgar Latin. And then the rest is, um, I think... You're looking at compost, right? Yes. Okay. And it's composita. Noun of femme of Latin compostus, and then it says it's the past participle of componere, which means what? Which is to put together. Okay, so the body is constantly putting together various elements of material nature: earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego, and then it's breaking down again. So th this seems like it should be a, a simple concept, but. Uh, by the force of illusion, I think that I'm the compostable body, but I'm non-compostable. And I try to keep the compost pile together, but it keeps composting and falling apart. That's what I'm noticing. So uh, Krishna says, be aware of this. And be aware that, and notice that the body is constantly morphing into something else. It, it's always changing. It's never the same thing. Whereas we're the observer, we're watching it change. So you can, and, and this is one of the, the, the uh, mystical powers of time. You can't feel right now, but your hair is growing. 
Your nails are growing. They're changing right now. But they're going so slow. And also, you know, parts of your body are falling off, like there's skin sloughing off and stuff like that. If you stay in the same room for a while, you'll notice it's like, hey, my body's coming off in the room. It's like composting all the time. And it's growing, but we don't see it growing until we see the result of it and go, hey, you know, I thought I cut these last week, but now they grew again. And uh, that's by the force of time, the material nature, uh, the material elements that f make up this body are constantly changing. So Krishna says, dhiras tatra namuhyati. A person has to become aware of this fact and then become steady and not disturbed by the changes. So the changes take place, boyhood, youth, middle age, 65, youth of old age. <laughs> Indra Junamarsh told me that. And then it goes into uh, you know, old age. And then there's this uh, process of, of death. And actually, it's a process. If you notice, when somebody's dying, they, their senses start to shut down gradually. You know, the eyes don't work, the feet don't work as well, everything's shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. It's, a, it's an arc that the body takes. And then finally, uh, there's, a, there's a time at which it's no longer inhabitable. It's getting to the um, point of degrading, ready to go in the compost pile, so that um, you can't stay in it anymore. So then uh, you leave the body, Krishna says. So just as, he says, you move from one uh, perspective, that this is who I am now, I'm a little baby, I'm a little uh, a, a child running around, and then a teenager uh, speeding around, and then I'm you know, doing all these things, but uh, I'm different from all that. And then he said, you'll notice... Uh, our self-realized person will, will also be aware of the change of death, that we call death. It's just as significant as all the other changes. It's just another change. And then after giving up the present body, then there's uh, inhabitation of the next uh, physical body, which is based on one's consciousness when one leaves the present body. And then one enters into the next uh, a circumstance, material circumstance, by force of material consciousness. This is called karma. We're forced by our consciousness to take on varied forms within the material world. And so this is the, the process that is uh, defined or given the title death. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were grabbing from the microphone. So now I'm just going to read, as I promised. Is everyone still okay? Yes. All right. That's a lucky thing for me. This is from 2.5.25 from the Srimad Bhagavatam. A little technical, but it's a very powerful, interesting purport. So you get extra points for paying attention. 2.5.25. This is from the chapter called The Cause of All Causes. Tasmat api bhutadher vikurvanad abhunnaba tasyamatra, there's that word again, guna shabdo 
lingam yad drashtir drishtayo. From the darkness of false ego, the first of the five elements, namely the sky, is generated. Its subtle form is the quality of sound, exactly as the seer is in relationship with the scene. I know that sounds a little cryptic, but let's listen to the purport. The five elements, namely sky, air, fire, water, and earth, are all but different qualities of the darkness of false ego. This means that the false ego in the sum total of the Mahatattva is generated from the marginal potency of the Lord. And due to this false ego of lording it over the material creation, ingredients are generated for the false enjoyment of the living being. So, in other words, the facility given here in the material world comes from one's own, own desire. The, the false ego, the sense that I'm separate enjoyer, I can control this material nature, and therefore it's manifest. This is saying the same thing only in a technical way. The living being is practically the dominating factor over the material elements as the enjoyer, though the background is the Supreme Lord. Factually, save and accept the Lord, no one can be called the enjoyer, but the living entity falsely desires to become the enjoyer. This is the origin of false ego. When the bewildered living being desires this, the shadow elements are generated by the will of the Lord, and the living entities are allowed to run after them as a phantasmagoria. So shadow elements means, the, as I mentioned, it starts from, from one amorphous substance, and then gets manifested in different varieties. But for us, they're not tangible, because they're always morphing, changing, composting, whereas I'm not, and it's a, it's a completely incompatible a situation, therefore it's like chasing shadows, trying to enjoy a reflection. It is said that the first tan matra, sound, is created and then the sky. And in this verse, it is confirmed that actually it is so. But sound is the subtle form of sky, and the distinction is like that between the seer and the seen. The sound is the representation of the actual object as... The sound produced, excuse me, the sound is the representation of the actual object as the sound produced speaking of the object gives an idea of the description of the object. Therefore, sound is the subtle characteristic of the object. Similarly, sound representation of the Lord in terms of his characteristics is the complete form of the Lord as was seen by Vasudeva and Maharaj Dasharath, the fathers of Lord Krishna and Lord Ram. The sound representation of the Lord is non-different from the Lord himself because the Lord and his representation in sound are absolute knowledge. Lord Chaitanya has instructed us that in the holy name of the Lord, as sound representation of the Lord, all the potencies of the Lord are invested. Thus one can immediately enjoy the association of the Lord by the pure vibration of the sound representation of his holy name and the concept of the Lord is immediately manifested before the pure devotee. A pure devotee, therefore, is not aloof from the Lord, even for a moment. The holy name of the Lord, as recommended in the Shastras, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, may therefore be constantly chanted by the devotee, aspiring to be constantly in touch with the Supreme Lord. One who is thus able to associate with the Lord is sure to be delivered from the darkness of, of the created world. 
which is a product of false ego. Tasmai, tamasi ma jyotir gamai. Hare Krishna. So, uh, uh, just uh, two more points: that the 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 person who becomes uh, aware of the difference between himself and the body is described in the Bhagavad Gita. Naiva kinchit karomiti tatvavit. It goes on from there, um, describing uh, how there are various functions of the body, like blinking. Anybody blinking? Did you want to do that? No. Uh, they're going on, and the self-realized person is noticing how the material nature is working, how the body is, has its own s- separate uh, autonomy, and that he's observing and seeing that the material world's working. And he, never, he doesn't think, I am the body. He's thinking the bodily uh, functions are going on, and he's watching it. So this is... Uh, part of the perspective of a dhira, a person who is undisturbed by material nature and its workings and similarly undisturbed when leaving the body at the time of death. So regarding this, Krishna says in the 15th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita that it's a, death is a subtle process. Um, he, he says the consciousness forces us to go to a new place. As the air passes over a particular place, it picks up a scent. And then uh, the consciousness, because of association, we, I should say, as a conscious being, we associate ourselves in various ways and we pick up the moods and customs of the people we're with, same kind of language, uh, the, the habits, and so forth. And then that, that, those inclinations, that, that aggregated consciousness is what, as I said before, uh, forces us into the next body. And then he says it's, it's perfectly uh, constructed. Shotram chakshu sparshanam cha rasanam grahanam evacha adishtayam manaschayam vishayan upasevate. That the, the senses are custom made specifically for that person uh, to fulfill all of his or her desires. Uh, and then, then he says that a person uh, who's trained in spiritual science, ukramantam stitam vapi, bunjanam bhagunan vitam, vimuna nana pashanti, pashanti jnana chakshusa, can see what's happening and, and notice. Either when somebody else is leaving his or her body, you notice that, okay, this is a transfer, a transformation that's taking place, uh, that the non-compostable living entity is getting ready to uh, step out. That's what it actually means, stepping out. Ukramantam. Utkrama means, okay, this place is not inhabitable. I'm stepping out of here. And he takes, she takes with him or her the or the soul takes uh, along the subtle uh, uh, physical body, the mind, intelligence, and ego. And then that gets transferred perfectly into the next body that's, that's uh, aligned with one's uh, consciousness. And, and in the Yoga Sutra, it is said that, that the impressions that we have within our consciousness are so powerful that material nature then fills them in. 
And the body, take a look at your body real quick. Let's take a look. That's what you were thinking when you left your last body. You were absorbed in that. And the material nature accommodated and just filled it in. And you know, there was a mold created from your impressions. Material nature then fills that in, and you come out, it's like, okay, here's my next uh, form. But nothing happened to you, actually. There's no, um, there's no destruction of the soul at any time, ever. It always existed. If, it's hard to conceive that while we're in the, um, in a, the framework of time. Because I'm thinking, when's the class going to be over? Uh, you know, in the time frame. But actually, uh, we have no beginning, we have no end. We always exist. But when I'm identified with the body, I think, I just died. Or I'm going to die. And I just, somebody took birth. So Krishna says, Ukramantam sitam vapi, a person who's, who's in, uh, self, trained in self-realization sees soul was situated in that body because of karma. Now the karma has, uh, for that body, there's a time limit on it. There's a shelf life for everybody. And it runs out. And when, once it runs out, that's its natural time. No, no reason to get really upset about it. You're just going to get a new body, uh, according to your karma now. Unless you use the higher purpose, atma prasidhaye, for human life, which is to develop your consciousness to the point where you're, you're no longer attached to the uh, matra, to the senses and their objects. What you are attached to is to the, um, what is described in the, in the uh, nectar of devotion, the, using your senses in uh, service to the Supreme, which means that uh, you're experiencing a higher uh, taste in service. Sarvo pati vanirmuktam tatpratvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchate. You're using all your senses, not for, for exploration of the material world, but, but actually in service of the source of all senses and the master of the senses. And then the senses get purified, and actually there's an unlimited sense of happiness that comes into the senses. This is bhakti, or devotional service. So the person who's not trained in, in knowledge, pashyanti, anupashyati, uh, a person doesn't, na pashyati, can't see what's happening, and becomes disturbed by the situation, and is not dhira, is not undisturbed by the, the, the final process of leaving the body. So, um, yeah, there's one more verse in that series, but I'll hold it for now. Yeah, uh, actually, I won't. Yatanto yoginas chainam pashyantyatman yavastitam. Yatanto pyakritatmano nainam pashyantyachetasa. That's actually the verse that describes what I was just saying, for the record. Now we'll take a few re reflections or questions to expand the conversation. Keep it in the same realm. Yes, Shastra Sar Prada. The one who distributes the essence of the Shastra is about to speak. Hare Krishna. Um, there was a verse that came to mind when um, the topic of Krishna satisfying desires came up. And just a moment. It's is it about Rishakapi? Oh, no. Okay, go ahead. It's, um, it's Srimad Bhagavatam 5.19.27. And I thought everything you were saying, Guru Maharaj, is 
It was perfectly encapsulated by this verse. Okay, let's see it. He's got to live up to his name. Could you sing it, please? 51927. I can't see the number on that. Is that it? Oh, there you go. Oh, that's not it either. Is it? Sorry, Guru Maharaj. Is this your verse? Yes, yes. Okay. I know this verse. Satyam dishatyarthetamarthetonarnam naivarthadoyat punarthetayata Swayam vidhatte bhajatamanichatam ichapidhanam nijapada pallavam. The Supreme Personality of Godhead fulfills the material desires of a devotee who approaches him with such motives, but he does not bestow benedictions upon the devotee that will cause him to demand more benedictions again. However, the Lord willingly gives the devotee shelter at his own lotus feet, even though such a person does not aspire for it, and that shelter satisfies all his desires. That is the Supreme Personality's special mercy. Well done, well done. Sadhu, sadhu. I can't see the screen. Vaikuntha Nayaka is there. Go ahead, Prabhu. Dandavat Pranam, Guru Maharaj, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. How are things at Mysore? Oh, wonderful, Maharaj. We had a great marathon time as well. We're missing you. We're missing being in Mysore with you. Okay, go ahead. Maharaj, uh, when you were saying that uh, everything in this world is uh, compostable and uh, only the soul is not, right? And uh, that is uh, also said in uh, entropy in science and thermodynamics. The entropy, entropy is basically in simple terms a measure of the disorder or measure of the randomness. And science says that the entropy of the world is always increasing. In other words, it's a long-winded way of saying that, okay, everything is breaking down in this universe. <laughs> and uh, uh, you need to put in great effort to maintain the status quo in this universe. If you don't put effort, things simply break down. <laughs> Be it relationships or break objects or even a piece of iron, Everything is just collapsing. It's breaking down. And uh, I was thinking that uh, the only thing that is not breaking down is the soul. And it's such a lonely place for the soul to be in. Every <laughs> soul is surrounded by everything that is breaking down. It is a scary situation. And what is more scary is that I am not scared of this scary situation. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Uh, thank you, Maharaj. Somebody look up lyrics. Uh, lyrics, I think it's from Bob Dylan. He's saying some, some passage about everything is broken. We need somebody born in 19, 1950s to, to actually know the verses. Like Bhagavad Ashraya Prabhu, he'd know all of them. Okay, um, Gandharvika, yes. That was brilliant, thank you, it was very helpful, and I'm glad it's in the record. 
please. Hare Krishna. Good Hare to see you. I was just thinking how even Vaikuntha Nayak Prabhu and all the points that we discussed, it's like the soul is, uh, I, I'm not losing anything by dying. But still, I don't want to die. No matter, like Krishna makes all the life situations perfect. And he says you'll get a better birth. Still go, but that fear overcomes us. And uh, we cannot say what it is um, that's not allowing us to take that opportunity with ease and with happiness. But then I came across this verse, uh, which shows that how much I am attached uh, still. And this uh, verse is Prabhu 11, 29, 39, uh, that Uddhava speaks. And um, the translation is, the firmly binding rope of my affection for the families of Dasharhas, Vrishnis, Andakas, and Satvatas, a rope you originally cast over me by your illusory energy for the purpose of developing your creation, is now cut off by the weapon of transcendental knowledge of the self. And there is a small purport. Prabhupada's uh, disciples say, Although the members of the families mentioned in this verse are eternal associates of Lord Krishna and thus proper objects of affection, Sri Uddhava had regarded them as his personal relatives rather than simply as pure devotees of the Lord. Influenced by the Lord's illusory potency, Uddhava had desired the prosperity and victory of these dynasties. But now, by hearing Lord Krishna's instructions, he has again fixed his mind exclusively upon Lord Krishna, and thus he regards his so-called family members without any mundane conceptions as eternal servants of the Lord. So I was just thinking, like, even though I do so many things in this world, my vision is not like uh, it's related to the Lord or people whom I am attached to, or personal servants of the Lord. So uh, that is what is pulling me from accepting the real truths of life. So how do we, uh, my question is Prabhu, like even though we read this and we discuss these in the classes, how do we realize it practically, like in our day-to-day -day lives so that we don't become so fearful? I think you are realizing it, otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up. Right? I don't know, Prabhu. I'm still very fearful. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> partly, um, we heard earlier Krishna say in the, in the 15th chapter of the Gita that there's a way in which devotees who have eyes of knowledge they are not disturbed by the, by the change. We heard about tiras tatra namuyati. They're not in ignorance, and you know, at the final change, they don't become bewildered by it. And it takes a, a, a cultivation throughout one's life, actually. And then, of course, it's not by our own uh, power. As is mentioned in the Sri Shapanishad, 
in the first Vayur Anilam Amritam Atedam Bashmantam Shariram Om Kratosmara Kritam Smara Kratosmara Kritam Smara Let this temporary body be burnt to ash and let the air of life be merged with the totality of air. Now, my Lord, please remember all my sacrifices and because you're the ultimate beneficiary, please remember all that I've done for you. And so in the purport, Prophet says, the devotee here is reminding the Lord everything I did for you. I'd like, you know, I did all the, I worked throughout my life in service. But he says he doesn't need a reminder. He knows exactly everything's been recorded. And then later on, he points out, does Prabhupada in this purport, that someone may become temporarily discombobulated. Do you have a synonym for that? Uh, <laughs> disoriented. Uh, leaving the body, because it is, uh, no matter which way you look at it, it's a little concerning, to say the least. And so uh, one may then become uh, temporarily attracted to you know, one's uh, previous as associates and attachments in this world and so forth. But um, Krishna helps those who help themselves. So when leaving the world, there's a way in which Krishna helps the devotee to, re to remind him or her of, like, uh, of him and to fix his mind on. He'll, as Prabhupada says, force his, force his way into the consciousness of the devotee. So in the eighth chapter of the Gita, Attaining the Supreme, this is discussed by Krishna himself. He said, yogis and others, they do a lot of calculation about exactly when to leave the world. But Prabhupada says there very blatantly, it doesn't matter when the devotee leaves, by accident, or, you know, it could be a road accident or this or that. He said, it doesn't matter because he's under Krishna's protection. And he's not calculating exactly how it's, how it's all going to go down. He just uh, gives his or her uh, con devoted attention to Krishna throughout life. In any case, the reason that I, f I feel it is because I'm attached. And therefore, those who are progressing in spiritual life and through the different stages of their life, they're, pre they're preparing for this. And therefore, there's the Varnashrama system through which one gradually divests oneself of all one's attachments in the material world, the strongest of which is uh, family. And of course, there's, a, there's kind of a stronger and more um, realistic attachment to family when one divests oneself of the materialistic concept that these are my parents, these are my siblings and so forth, because in one sense, that's like, uh, uh, as Kashipu himself explained from his perspective after his brother died and he was trying to console his family, that look at this is just like we came into a roadside inn, we all sat down, and it happens we shared a table, or we pushed the tables together, I don't know, and they, everyone ordered a, a lemonade or a sarsaparilla, and then the, we talked. We got to know one another. How are you doing? I don't know, how are you doing? Like airplane talk? I always think, what's the use? So then, <laughs> then everyone gets up and goes away 
in different directions, he said. So he said the same thing with family. Uh, we come together, it's kind of random. It's actually not random, it's, it's arranged by the material nature, but then at the end, everyone goes in a different direction, and you're not gonna see the same souls again. It's just an impression that you have that these are mine. So I have an impression that this is my nation, these colors don't run, and this is my team, although it's never the same team, everyone's always injured, uh, so <laughs> gotta bring new people in. And so, uh, so Hegel, the philosopher, said, die to live. There's a sense in which you die to the world. And it's, it's a sense of detachment that comes from reconnecting oneself with Krishna. So that's what he says, does Krishna, in the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, when he describes our entanglement, he says, Narupa masyehit topa labyate nanto na chadir na Ashvatamenam savarudamulam asanga shastrena dritena chitva tatapanam tat parimargitam vyam yasmin katana nirvartanti buya tameva chadyam purusham prapadye yatak pravriti prashita parani, which means uh, cut down the material attachments with the strong weapon of detachment and then make your journey towards reality, the Supreme Person and your real family. Okay, can somebody tell me? Cause, oh, good. It's Aniruddha Nitai Chan Prabhu. Haribo. Thank you for the nice discourse. Um, I was probably thinking the point you made in the beginning, how uh, Srila Prabhupada has made things like why the purpose we are in this world so clear, so I could get the point from your class. The first is uh, to give us facilities for sense enjoyment, the material world is created, and also there is one other purpose, which is uh, make us understand the futility of uh, this uh, endeavor of sense enjoyment and then surrendering unto the Supreme Lord. And then among the two causes, the last one is the main cause of creation of this material world. So thank you for clarifying uh, that. And I was probably thinking about a verse from Sisi Maitha where the golden monk, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, was saying to Sanatana Goswami that Krishna Bhulishaji Anadi Bhulirmo Ape Mayadare Deisham Shartuk. So, I mean, because uh, a living entity is forgetful of his relationship with Krishna, and that's why Maya in different ways gives the pangs of material uh, miseries. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, yes. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj, Sanar Pranam. Um, I like two points. Um, the, the, the points that really struck me was uh, how you said the soul is non-compostable and everything else just falls apart. And uh, another point is how you have to be steady and don't be, don't be disturbed by the changes. Um, I was remembering like um, other long day, like I think a couple of weeks back, I met a person. Um, I was uh, telling her to take some books, and she asked me out of nowhere, like, if you could go to any planet, if you could go to travel to any other planet, where would you go to? So I showed her the picture on Srimad Bhagavatam first candle the Vrindavan, and I told her that that's where I want to go. And she asked me why. What is so special about that place? And I told her, like, 
that's it, that is where you could be eternally happy. And she asked me, I mean, why, why can't you be happy here? And I told her, like, it's temporary, it's not real happiness. And the conversation went on, she took some books. Um, but uh, today, I kind of realized, like, um, you have to be, I mean, I have to realize that everything else falls apart, even the happiness, uh, the efforts I put in to get some happiness from material world and material things, it falls apart. Um, I just have to realize that and be consistent. Um, in the Japa circle, he said, try to be consistent first, then everything descends, like with Krishna's mercy. So I like those two points, how you have to be steady and uh, how and to realize that you are different from everything around you. You ha just have to, be, have to observe that and realize that. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you very much. Except Hawaii, right? <laughs> so many of you went to Hawaii, so I was like, no, not really. <laughs> but it, it's perfect, right? <laughs> okay. Majula Kanta. Could somebody give her a mic? Oh, okay. And online we have Shraddha. Oh, okay. Can't tell with the glasses. Hi, Krishna Guru Maharaj. Maharaj, I want to just share um, a realization I had. Um, a lot of times when you were teaching about Mother Kunti, and you were saying, you know, vipadam, you know, she asks for trouble to remember Krishna. And when we go through so many challenges, even with COVID, we see families dying and everyone suffering. Nobody wants suffering. And uh, I was like, I couldn't understand the orientation. You kept saying, wait, and it will come. One thing which I noticed with misery is that misery is very comforting. Misery is very comforting because it's not comforting when you're in the pain of misery. It's not comforting when you're trying to get out. But it's very comforting once you step out and you're healing. Because you look back and say, well, that's what Krishna was saying anyway. And the realization that you get from misery is much stronger and more intense than anything happiness can give. And from that misery, you know, it's like sometimes I think I'm so unwilling and Krishna's pulling off the band-aid saying, it's fine, take it off. And it hurts when the band-aid comes off. But at the end of the day, we're grateful. He took it off and we can see better. So. Yeah, that, that's a really nice observation. And I think it, uh, who asked the question earlier about um, realizing I, I think it was uh, Gandharvika Radha, yeah, that in that realm of understanding uh, that actually suffering is pure, a kind of purification that takes place. Of course, we can volunteer, that's what tapasya is, it's voluntary suffering. That's why sages get so attached to it, or advanced people, they, they understand, like, I'm going to voluntarily suffer, and everyone's going, why are you doing that? It's like, I'm doing it for, for a higher cause. And when you voluntarily suffer, means delayed gratification and so forth, then you actually get purified. And the realization pours in and it's a much higher taste. So you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way. <laughs> okay, uh, Rishesh Leela, we're almost coming to a close, inching towards the close. 
Thank you so much for a wonderful Bhagavatam class. Um, I was really struck by the purport um, where, you know, in the 11th canto, you mentioned about, uh, or you know, read about how um, Krishna condones this sense gratification because it's like a, you know, he thinks this is, uh, you know, this is not something he wants, but he, he loves so that we can gradually come to that point of realizing that, you know, he is the supreme enjoyer, we are not. And um, I was reflecting that how the process of book distribution and uh, leads us to, you know, a deep meditation on reading of the Bhagavatam. And then reading of the Bhagavatam is enough to give us knowledge and detachment um, gradually in a nice way, you know, ripping off that band-aid. Um, but it's, it also, um, you know, gradually brings out the relationships, you know, how the relationships are reciprocal. And, uh, and we see, you know, we can see that always in the material world, but the supreme relationship is with Krishna. And uh, when that is done in a nice way, then obviously Krishna reciprocates. And we see that as, a, as always the theme uh, in the Bhagavatam, you know, starting from Narad Muni, uh, Queen Kunti, Kardama Muni, uh, so many different examples. And um, they just result in such beautiful prayers coming from the devotees' hearts that just uh, uplift us, you know, from the enjoyer mentality and uh, rebellious mentality that, that a conditioned soul has. So um, I'm just so grateful that uh, we have access to this the best service, book distribution, and the best of scripture, Srimad Bhagavatam. Thanks to Srila Prabhupada. Excellent and points. I'm glad you brought this up, Rishesh Leela, because uh, the hearing from Srimad Bhagavatam takes us through every combination and permutation of psychological uh, states uh, f for the human being in this world, and then brings us to a safe conclusion, which is take shelter of Krishna. And uh, the, the effect of that is that one feels as if I already went through it. I'm already schooled in that particular area, so I'm not going to um, make the mistake of embracing the material energy again, because it happens by Krishna's mercy, vidunoti. By hearing Bhagavatam, he removes that. And one of the ways is very practical, as you just mentioned, for instance, in, in the relationships. And I think this is, we're still working on Gandharvika Radha's question, like how do you do it? One of the ways is hearing Bhagavatam in the association of devotees, because you kind of preemptively do it, every, do it through all the devotees that you're hearing about in that. I think of Priyavrata, how he was about to renounce the world, and then his father and then grandfather came and said, wait a minute, we need you <laughs> for some work. And they said, don't worry, you won't get attached. You just do your work. But he did get attached. <laughs> but then he was able uh, to easily, somehow after that short period of attachment, give it up and realize the, the ultimate goal of life. And that's a kind of inter interesting nuance. Someone says, don't worry about it, and then you don't become you won't become attached then you did become attached and then but in the end it turned out okay there are combinations and permutations like that throughout the bhagavatam that um take us through all the steps so that we feel we've taken them an anecdote in our retreat in govardhan one year and reading the bhagavatam for five hours a day and just hearing there was a brahmachari there during one of the breaks 
he was talking to his spiritual master, Keshav Bharti Maharaj, and uh, he just had this astonished look on his face, did the brahmachari, and he said, what was I thinking? Meaning like, <laughs> after hearing the Bhagavatam, he was reassessing his whole relationship with the material world. And that happens quite naturally by hearing Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita. So that's one of, one of the antidotes to this kind of inordinate attachment to the compostable world is to hear regularly and uh, constantly from Bhagavatam. Om Tat Sat. Last point coming from... Oh, yes. I want, last point coming from Bob Dylan. Broken lines, broken strings. Broken threads, broken strings. Broken idols, broken heads. People sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use jiving. Ain't no use joking. Everything is broken. <laughs> Honey Bowl, let's hear it for Bob Dylan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's the material world, according to Vaikuntha Nayaka, as pointed out, and Bob Dylan. So don't get attached to the compostable world, get attached to the non-compostable world, and you got to go a little farther in Hawaii to get it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Hawaii. Prabhupada liked it. He did a lot of translating there. So uh, now uh, we've come to the end of our class. Thanks to Srila Prabhupada for giving us all this context and uh, direction towards uh, understanding death, what it means and what it doesn't mean and so forth. And this is the first in this segment of uh, a few points we're going to make about the death process. There's a lot more to go. Uh, or a few more sessions to go anyway. We'll take it up again next, next Saturday. No, Saturday after next.